Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello, honey, and welcome to Honey Do Me Podcast. I'm Cass. And I'm Emma, and we're just two gals looking for a good lay. Aren't we all? (laughs) But when it comes to sex, we're just as lost as you and have no idea what we're doing. Luckily, we will stop at nothing to get the answers we need. Cue our expert guests. We're ready to overshare and ask all the embarrassing questions so you don't have to. By the end of every episode, you will be dripping in actionable steps and ready to take on the damn world. Or at least take it from behind. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, honey. How how do do you do you? Hello. Blast off. <laughs> oh, I really oh, thought yeah. we'd mind meld on that one. No, hello. Hello. <laughs> Guess we're just hello. a little tired <laughs> from our rager this weekend. Rager. We went camping. We kind got of. an RV. We got an RV for five people. Yeah. It was really fun, though. We did a good job for Neving. Neving having Nervied camped. Yes, we did do a good job. Only one of us emptied. Well, I guess kind of two of us emptied the um the gross part, the the tank. Oh. <laughs> so I wouldn't say we all RV'd. Like you and I, we slept in an RV. Yeah, we did sleep in an RV. <laughs> we did not drive it. We did not empty the septic tank. We did the least amount of F of Jesus Christ, can I talk today? We did the least amount of effort possible for two people who were a part of a trip. <laughs> Absolutely. And where else do you take an RV but to see the Lumineers? Yeah. Which is where we went. Yeah, so four so and a half hour fun. drive. And we did really well on sunscreen and mm-hmm. water. That yeah. was fun for us. Yeah. Go us. Go us. And now we're great. back. Now we're back, ready to talk about all the things. All the things like... Jealousy, mm-hmm. jealousy, creative monogamy. Creative monogamy. I'm not gonna lie. This has been a topic that I've been craving to talk about. <laughs> I am so jealous <laughs> as a human being, or envious. I, I experience all the range of emotions. So it was so fun to like dive into it. Absolutely. Like, I we neither of us knew what creative monogamy was before mm-hmm. uh, talking to this guest and. It was just so fun to realize that even if you are in a monogamous relationship, because we've talked about, you know, polyamory before, all of that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's like, if you're in a monogamous relationship, you almost assume like, oh, yeah, it's just normal, quote unquote. But you still have the ability to create every aspect of it and decide what feels good for you and what doesn't feel good for you. And it's like, I don't know, there's so many fucking questions to ask. And there you can get so creative and just make everything so authentically you. And I love that. Well, the way that we talked about it, too, it's like the ways in which you can get creative are the same ways in which your relationships can get hung up Mm -hmm. if you don't talk about them and don't talk about your boundaries or your limits or like where you guys are comfortable. So it's like getting creative is really about becoming extremely healthy, (laughs) I think. I absolutely agree. It's Mm -hmm. fucking amazing. So we're talking with Dr. Jolie Hamilton and just... It's so good. Raging. Just having a raging party. Raging against the machine. Yeah. Just <laughs> hey hoing our way. Hey hoing our way to victory, baby. <laughs> uh, so we'll see you on the other side of that. See you later. Bye. Bye. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am Dr. Jolie Hamilton, and I'm the coach for couples who color outside the lines. So what that means is I help people who are transitioning from monogamy to something more with grace and skill, because often when we transition to something more, we do it really badly. Um, (laughs) And I love helping people do that because um, I screwed up everything when I transitioned from monogamy to something more. And so then I spent the next 12 years getting my doctorate in psychology and trying to figure out how to do it better. So that's me (laughs) in a nutshell. That's amazing. What a way to turn something that sounds challenging into your entire profession and like life's mission. That's exactly it. I, I hadn't, I didn't even have my bachelor's degree in psychology when that 
all when, when it all really hit the fan. Um, and through the process of reclaiming myself and then figuring out how I had messed up my first marriage and then how I still was screwing up as polyamorous. Um, yeah, I learned that most of us need a guide. And since I couldn't find one at the time, I decided to become one. And that meant studying a lot. I became a certified sex educator. I became a, a Jungian trained psychologist. And maybe most of all, I became a really good detective for what's going to work in a relationship and what isn't. Cause it's not just one set of rules. Right. Detective work is some of my favorite work. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about like beyond monogamy. Can you talk about some of the different things that can be beyond monogamy or different from monogamy? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So monogamy Everybody seems to think that they know that we share a definition. So first, let's just identify what that is. Monogamy is, in my book, when two people get together and create a relationship with the their implicit and explicit expectation is to maintain sexual and emotional intimacy in an exclusive way, right? So it's all about mm-hmm. exclusivity. Now, the definitions of intimacy, sexual, emotional, like all of these things really need to get defined. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think we should jump to conclusions that just because somebody says they're monogamous, we know exactly what they're doing, mm-hmm. especially in the bedroom. But when we look past monogamy, when, when, when we go past monogamy into something more, we have a range of possibilities. There's polyamory. There's all these different flavors of consensual and ethical non-monogamies. There's open relating. There's don't ask, don't tell open relating. There's swinging, which still like swinging, like people don't like the name anymore. So if you don't like the name swinging, but you like the idea of multiple sexual partners, you can use the words polysexual. Um, There's just as many, every time I think I know all the places you can go beyond monogamy, I find somebody's doing it another way. (laughs) But at core, the idea is that, people come together in relationships and their explicit and implicit agreements are about other things beyond exclusivity, which means they really are talking about creating agreements, consensual agreements that are about expansiveness, which doesn't mean that they don't also have exclusivity somewhere too. So you could think of it as like two circles, what's going to be in the exclusive circle and what's going to be in the expansive circle for your relationship. And depending on how you arrange those different things, you might define yourself as polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous or a swinger or monogamous. So it really is a choose your own adventure kind of situation. (laughs) That is just, it's, it really is like beyond also like my concept of relationships and partnership, because when you think of that, or at least when I have, it's been like, oh, you're emotionally and sexually exclusive with one person. And that's Mm -hmm. what being in a relationship means. That's what being monogamous means. But who the fuck can say that? Like Mm -hmm. being monogamous means that you guys agree that you'll both eat pasta every Sunday (laughs) and you'll have sex with other people. Like maybe that's what monogamy is. So we're monogamous. (laughs) So I mean, there's just so many I don't know, variations, definitions, but we get stuck in what is culturally normal Mm -hmm. and forget that other people enjoy different things and that can affect them when they feel like they're wrong because they enjoy different things. Absolutely. I just quick side note, and I'm thinking we go here and then go back up. Yeah. That's that work. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the things that we read like in your bio was about creative monogamy. And so I would love to see how that definition ties in and get into that a little bit as well. Yeah, so that is a great way to describe exactly what you're saying. Um, Emma, I heard you say that like there's this one definition that you imagine monogamy is, right? But in fact, unless you have some explicit conversations with your partner, do you really know exactly what your monogamy is about? Because, well, a lot of times when I interview monogamous people about whether they have any other sexual partners, they're like, no, and I'm like, Okay, cool. Great. Do you have any other emotional partners? They're like, no. I said, okay, cool. Do you have any friends? Like, yes, of course. And that's when I pause and just wait. So you have emotional connections to other people. And how do you decide whether that is beyond your monogamy? Creative monogamy is just taking the time to make the implicit explicit to really get clear on what it means for you to have 
friendships with other people, what it means for you to enjoy pornography, what it means for you to want to go to a strip club, or what it means for you to maybe want to go to a sexy, fun party together, or maybe not, Um, or what it means to be really exclusive in all areas. Because if we're going to be exclusive in all areas, then I want us to do that from a really consensual place. Like, yes, I've decided I'm not going to have emotional bonds out beyond this relationship. So how am I going to do that in a way that's healthy and not codependent? Creative monogamy is a huge opportunity to get super clear on exactly what you're doing instead of just expecting the society at large to hold all of your questions and say, yep, we know what you're doing. It's fine. Oh, my God. My mind is like jumping all over the place because we always say communication's key, communication's key, but we don't talk about what you should be talking about. And mm-hmm. that's what you should be talking about. Mm-hmm. And you're bending these ideas that we thought we had of like, because you're totally right. What about strip clubs? What about being turned on by other people that aren't your partner? Like all of these are conversations that I think at least perpetuate shame once you do feel them Mm -hmm. because you're told that like, that's not what monogamy or your partnership's about, but you don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're just afraid. Like a, a couple that I'm working with right now has been struggling with what it means to share their fantasies. They've been married a long time at this point and they haven't shared their fantasies. And now they're, they're non-monogamous now. So they talk about the fact that they have sexual partners out in the world and they still are struggling to talk about their fantasy. And that's about the monogamous imagination, right? You're, even in Even your imagination should be constrained to this one person, right? So we don't practice sharing. Yeah. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid we'll get shamed or we'll, we're afraid we'll feel sh- shameful, even if our partner isn't trying to. And so we don't have conversations that could lead us to have a better sex life, just a more smooth communication and would let us transition when stuff happens, would let us transition with more grace because you're eventually going to experience change because mm-hmm. you're alive. So if you can talk about those things, awesome. And there is, there's a list. Like, let's talk about them. Right. That is just so wild to think about. It is really blowing my mind. Um, Something that I don't know if this is like an idea that a lot of people have had or if this is just something that popped up into my head. But when I have, you know, thought about what would, you know, ethical non-monogamy look like in my relationship, I've also had responses or like the thought process like, well, that means that I don't value this relationship enough or that I don't like love this person enough and that my relationship isn't as good because I'm like seeking something elsewhere as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, let's get into it. So my primary research is in jealousy. So I I study jealousy. I use interpretative phenomenological analysis to qualitatively research jealousy. So when I say I study jealousy, I don't mean I wrote a book. You mean (laughs) jealousy is your bitch? Yeah, it is absolutely. And and what you're saying is getting into how mixed up we are about jealousy's purpose in relationships. When I interview people about their, their lived experience of jealousy, some people talk about jealousy like, well, I want my partner to be jealous. Otherwise, they're not into me. I, I'm, I think some jealousy is healthy. Um, another common response I'll get is, well, if they're not jealous, then this doesn't mean anything. Conversely, some people think if, if I'm feeling jealous, then something must be wrong in the relationship. And if, and, or if they're not feeling jealous, something must be wrong. So we have these range, this range of experiences around jealousy that I think are directly tied to what you're saying about the validity of a relationship. If we think a relationship needs to be defined by these very clear exclusivity bounds, and we're afraid that anything beyond that means that we're not valued, well, now we've tapped right into primal shame, primal fear. We are basically pre-verbal now, right? No wonder it would blow your mind. No wonder it would feel earth-shaking because it's tapping into a pre-verbal time. Jealousy is spotted as young as six months old. It's designed to keep you connected to your primary caregiver, right? It's hardwired. That's fine. So it has a purpose. However, if we act in our romantic relationships like we did when we were six months old, we're going to have problems. And so what I hear you saying is, it makes me feel like maybe I wouldn't be valued. Boom, right there. We have, we have great material then for you to have 
actually a better monogamous relationship. Because if what you at core want is to feel valued, is that actually about exclusivity? Or is it about expression of you being valued? Do, do you need your partner to verbally, physically, um, emotionally, all these ways? Do you want to be validated? Do you want them to remind you and reassure you that you are valuable? And many people feel like the monogamy basically writes a check it can't cash, right? It says, mm-hmm. if you're monogamous, boom, then I care about you and I love you. And I don't need to tell you those things. And I don't need to, re- re- and I hear especially cisgender men say this in my room all the time. I'll let you know if I change my mind. And they're like, I just want the, you know, the monogamous commitment to like hold that space. But in fact, you could use that desire to be wanted in that big way, that exclusive way. You could let that be the catalyst for the conversations about, cool, how do you need that expressed to you? What's your deal breaker? What is like, you need these expressions Because like using myself as an example, I need verbal reassurance that I am loved far more than seems reasonable. (laughs) And that's fine because I ask for it and and I've made that a standard, a norm. So when my anchor partner is out on another, on a date, cool. One of the things that they've done before they left is remind me how much they love me and how much they value me. And then they do that again when they get home. And that goes a long way toward reminding me that, my principal need of being valued, nothing's changed because he happened to go out on a date. Nothing changed. And then we get into the messy part where people are like, yeah, but still he was on a date. (laughs) (laughs) And I say, yeah. And for me, my lived experience is that because I've done a lot of work around this, it's not that different than if he were out playing basketball with somebody. It's, It's just not relevant. Because we do the other things to lay the groundwork. I know what our agreements are. I know what our shared boundaries are. And I know that I can catch myself when I find jealousy comes and tries to knock me over. Just mean it's easy. That was very (laughs) beautiful. I can't wait to get into the jealousy aspect, but because I, (laughs) it it comes up for me. Um, But in terms of what you were saying, with like valuing your partnership, you know, with your original Mm -hmm. question, that's so true in terms of like, oh, if we're slapping this monogamous title, then that means that you value this partnership more and you don't have to talk about all the other things that could make this partnership more valuable because I'm already telling you, I'm not sleeping with anyone else. Like I'll tell you if I want to, but I'm not, you know, but it's like, but if, we talk about all the other stuff under the surface. Doesn't that make this partnership way more valuable because we're being honest? Right. That's when I hear the question that you posed, Cass, I, I heard, how will I know if, if it's not monogamy, how would I know mm-hmm. that I was valued? And the answer is you'll ask. It's, it really is. The answer is that you'll ask and it will become a normalized part of your relationship to be in conversation about not just are you valued, but how are you valued? Mm -hmm. And that, I think, it doesn't matter to me whether you want to be monogamous or not. There is no right way to relate. Monogamy is beautiful. If it suits you, do it. Most of us, I think, are actually more ambi-amorous. Like, we could do either. And you got to find the one that's going to fit for you. Mm -hmm. So if you love monogamy, do it. But do it with lots of explicit conversations about how you want to be loved how it's actually going to look in action. Everything you said is so interesting and hits so true. I, when I was asking the question, I was picturing like, how do I make sure my partner feels valued? But what's really funny is that was always under there as well. Like I didn't even think about like, well, am I going to feel valued? Like, yes, that was obviously a part of it as well. So I'm wondering like, you know, if my worry is like, I want to make sure that my partner knows that I value them like just as much as I did before or like as always. Is it just asking those same questions to your partner? Right. It It is. It's about making it okay to talk about what feels tender. If If I want to make sure my partner feels valued, one, I want to know how. I mean, you can just go back to your basic love languages and say like, yeah, how do they feel valued? <laughs> Speak your partner's love language at them and it's that's better. It'll probably help. And 
reminding yourself that your relationship is a living, breathing thing. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't exist without the two of you participating. So if I'm going out on a bunch of dates, I tend to date a lot more than my anchor partner does. If I'm going out on a bunch of dates and I'm not tending to the fact that I also have a relationship with this person, it doesn't matter that it's dates distracting me or whether it's my work distracting me or the kids, it doesn't matter. What matters is that I'm distracted from the fact that he's a human who deserves my attention too. So it is about just getting really clear how will they receive love? You know, how, how will they actually be able to hear it? And not just expecting that a, like a blanket statement will, or a blanket label will do the job. Mm-hmm. Right. In your situation is one of the agreements that you guys, if you ever decide one or both of you decide to stop, like you will, and you would come back to your anchor partner, or would that mean that your anchor partnership would not be suited for you anymore? That's a great um, question because I'll, I work with people who have a range of answers to that. So in my particular case, um, I am philosophically attached to my polyamory. It it works for me. I don't actually care so much how many people I'm seeing at any time. It can be, I mean, I, we just went through COVID. But so it's not that, it's not the practicality of it. It's the philosophy at core. That's my philosophy. And so in my case, If my partner needed me to be monogamous, as in needed me to tell him that I only loved him and I always would only love him, we would become incompatible because that's about my feelings. And I was already in a marriage like that. And that didn't work for me. This wasn't about acting. I could stay sexually monogamous. I could stay exclusive, but my feelings were my feelings and being asked to never speak them, being asked to keep them a secret or worse being asked to actually lie about it to myself, that was damaging to my psyche. So for me, in my first marriage, that was the end of the relationship because he couldn't tolerate me even just having this reality. He needed me to lie about it. Now I'm with somebody who happens to value the truth of it. And if, and if we falter or we have one of those moments where we're like, I don't know whether I can tolerate the practicalities, we just take a beat. We take a beat and we take a break from whatever it is that we're doing. And that break might be three hours to spend together, or it might be, oh, we have to renegotiate this whole relationship. So the answer is, it could mean a lot of different things. One of the things we do have to take very seriously, though, this is worth mentioning. As soon as you start seeing other people, those are real live humans. And it's real easy to imagine that the anchor partnership should overrule everything else but those are real live humans. So we have to treat them with their full humanity, which means we need to express what our limits are beforehand. And we have to be willing to say, to own it. If we're going to end things because our partner wants things to end, you better own that. You got to put on your big person underpants and really, really own that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so everyone that you date, you let them know that you have an anchor partnership at home. Yeah. Yeah. And in my case, it's because um, we share, we co-parent children. We don't have any biological children together, but we co-parent. We made a commitment to co-parenting, even if we decide not to be romantically involved anymore. We actually signed papers. We made that as, as professional as we could, because, you know, the rules never really apply. But um, we made that really, really explicit because we value how we co-parent. And I don't need to be sleeping with this person to want to do that with them. Right. So we prioritized that. Other people I have seen prioritize, say, the ownership of a house or their dog. You know, they're like, yep, we made a, pre, a pre-commitment to this dog together. So we're in this anyways. And so what it means is, yeah, you do need to disclose. I, I recently dated somebody who had a queer platonic um, partnership. So that was not a person they were romantically involved with at all. But this person built their whole life around each other's like, like they were each other's family. There was not going to be any space for me to be a partner in that sense, like raising children, like my stuff all up in their business. That just wasn't the thing. So she told me ahead of time, easy, right? Cause then I got to de- decide and the trick comes, when do you dis- disclose that stuff? And it's, it's a process over the first couple of months of relating. How do you share with someone what your limits are, what your boundaries are? And in monogamous dating, we often don't have to do that. Like we just imagine that there's a foregone conclusion. We're going to keep going on the next date until we're either dead, divorced, 
or <laughs> we've just, you know, totally can't stand each other, but it's this clear escalator. You don't have to be intentional. So what I would say is, but you still can be. So you don't have to want to be non-monogamous to put all these other yummy pieces of like really intentionally choosing your next step. Mother's Day is around the corner and whether you're celebrating your mama, grandma, guardian, or yourself, celebrate with the mother of all self-care routines by trying out Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. This duo delivers a one-two punch in luxurious body care moisturizers with their Anduria Algae Body Oil and Anduria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature all-natural citrusy scent. I use both the body lotion and the Anduria Algae Body Oil once I get out of the shower, and I use it literally everywhere. This duo is my go-to for feeling glowy and hydrated for literal days, and the Osea Signature Scent is one of my faves because it's not overwhelming, um, but it's like a delicious and fresh smell that just lasts. Since 1996, Osea has been making seaweed-infused skincare that is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code DOOMY at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com. Malibu.com and use code D-E-W-M-E for 10% off. Wow. (sighs) (laughs) That is just, my mind is all over the place and I'm obsessed with it. It's a really big mind shift. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about like, I don't know. I love the term creative monogamy because when I read it, I wasn't sure what that meant, but it's like, it's creating your relationship really. And it's like, that's right. beautiful. Right. Why would I want to just step into something that's like, this is how a relationship is supposed to be. And I notice that in myself and in my relationship where it's like, you know, we'll talk about something and I'm like, oh, we probably shouldn't do that. And it's like, why? Like if it works for us and it makes us happy and it feels good and it doesn't hurt anybody, like why wouldn't we do something that feels good for us mm-hmm. just because right. society was like, not that one. Not that <laughs> one. Not that line. Yeah. Across. <laughs> Um, if it's not too personal, what ways in which did you do it incorrectly in your first relationship? Yeah. So I share these stories on purpose because I have, I have the benefit of hindsight, right? (laughs) Um, but also because I'm able to be out in my life. And a lot of people who decide to be non-monogamous are like, I'm not going to share those stories, (laughs) (laughs) but I did do it messy. And one of the big things that happened for me is Um, I had fallen in love with more than one person my whole life. And I had expressed that to my partner, but I'd expressed it with that sort of, well, you know, but nothing can ever come of it. I didn't have any words, but what happened was I fell in love with somebody who was available for the first time, like who, who was in an open marriage. And so who was more available. And then I went and told my husband, I hopped into the shower with him and I was like, guess what? Cause I thought it was just like all the other times I'd been like, I totally have a crush. Except this time it was so damn scary because this time it was, wait a minute, that could become a real thing. And so what I would have everyone know is it is so much easier to have creative monogamy or some form of consensual non-monogamy if you start that process before there's an actual third party involved. Because having this real person meant now every fear, every worry became about this other person who honestly wasn't doing anything. Like that was irrelevant. My first husband and I needed to work that stuff out ourselves. We needed to. So yeah, it got really messy because I thought, it'll be fine. So then it, when it wasn't, it was also tied to this person, to a real person out in the world. Right. And so I see this happen where people, um, they say, I fell in love with someone. So I must be Polly. Like, I I want you to, I just want you to slow down a step, just slow down a little bit and say, you fell in love with someone. That means you have new information. Because probably the the first blush of love, I mean, I was trained in psychodynamics. The first blush of love is mostly projection. We're just projecting what we want to see onto a new person. And boy, it's fun and it feels good, but it may not need to be anything more than that. 
So it's actually an invitation to start considering, what does this mean? Because if you want to be creatively monogamous or you want to be non-monogamous, great. Then let's have those conversations. And if you already have a partner you care about, that's the person you need to have those conversations with. And you might need another guide. I mean, that's why I have a business doing what I do. Because when I did it, there, there was nobody to ask. And the few people who I knew who were, were, oh my God, were they messing it up? Oh, it was so messy. It was bad. It was bad. So you and your first hub- husband were not even considering this type of situation, but you were it, not even considering like so far from considering it never crossed my mind that it was even allowed. So I'm by, and I had always, I'd fallen in love with girls all the time. Like since he first, since we were first together when I was 16, this was the first time I fell for somebody who happened to have a penis shockingly that caused a bigger (laughs) ripple in our relationship. Right. But in fact, we were actually possibly at our most secure and safe. We had actually been having um, better sex than we were prior. We were talking more than ever. We had, we just built um, a second new business together. So we were doing great. And then I experienced an inner like flush of that, that big, like whoosh of, of love. I'm going to use big air quotes around it because who knows whether it was love or infatuation or intoxication, because there was definitely some booze involved. <laughs> but when that happened, yeah, there was no groundwork. There was no groundwork under there. And so we actually had no, I don't think we had very much chance at all of making it through because the thing, the conversations we were going to have to have, then we were going to have to be honest about our differences. And that's what our relationship couldn't tolerate. I, I teach, I lead, I guide from the principle of differentiation. I believe that we need to become the most me version of me, like each one of us. And we need to do that in relationship, which means we're going to have to let our partners be different than us. And that was not allowed in my first marriage. Mm. We had to be really, really inextricably linked. And it's really common. We call it codependency, right? Like we're Mm. all just tied together. And we mistook that for love when really we were just afraid. We were so afraid. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Mm-hmm. Still meant there was a lot of unpacking to do. Right. right. So if you, I guess I'm kind of getting into what ifs, but I'm so curious, like, you know, if you have not explored any of this, you haven't laid the groundwork and you do start to have feelings for someone else and you, you know, you take a moment, you process that and you're like, oh shit, like, no, I really do have feelings for this person. Like, is there a way to bring that to your partner that is not detrimental? Yeah. So I actually think that the one thing I did right and the thing I still recommend to people all the time is I was honest. I don't think that bringing it to my partner was the problem. I think that it was that I hadn't had the conversations that would have been necessary beforehand about what wasn't working in our relationship already. So if you were to fall for somebody and you're, you're having all these feelings, honesty is still the best place, the best thing to do, but how, where, when, you know, breaking this news in a therapeutic or coaching setting might be the right thing, or it might just be that you wait until you can actually have some alone time and talk about it on the, on the foundation of all the other relationship work that you've done together. If you haven't built a strong relationship, then you got to expect you're going to spend a while. The minimum is going to be a year. I've never seen anybody take less than a year to totally renegotiate and and ground enough to have transitioned well. It's why I, I always work with people who want that. It's always at least a year because you need time for stuff to happen. Time is an ingredient. So you say, well, what if you, you know, you have feelings for someone, you can have your feelings. You don't have to do anything about them yet. Right. Mm-hmm. It's that's your opportunity now to look into like, well, what do I want with my anchor partner who I may have married or made children with? What do I want with them? What is our relationship based on? Cause it could be the catalyst for you to actually double down on your relationship and Like, oh, I need this to be really solid because I might want to explore something more. So we need this to be 
rock solid. We need to understand who we are and where we allow each other to have freedom and where we don't. It, some of the strongest partnerships I know are non-monogamous because they are so explicit about everything. Right. Constantly talking. Yeah. Right. I think something that I've noticed and I have told my partner this, but it is a little exposing. Like there have been times in our relationship where I have like, I wouldn't, I don't even want to say like felt something for somebody else, but I guess felt something is fine. But in those scenarios, it was because I wasn't getting something from my partner. And so like there, I would start to pull away from my partner and be like, well, this person's giving me more attention. Like I didn't do anything sexual with those people, but I was like really close with them. And then I realized like, oh shit, I'm like not getting what I want from my partner. Um, and then we talked about it and we worked through it. So like, how do you, is that what taking a beat is? Like, is that part of the reason you do take a beat? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. Because the thing is, if I'm not getting a need met, I, there are a bunch of ways I might get that met. Mm-hmm. And some of them might lead me toward non-monogamy or creative version of like, what if it is okay if I have close intimate friendship with this person, maybe that is okay in the context of my relationship, but I need to talk it through. When people feel a flush of something for someone, whether that's sexual or emotional or whatever, when they're feeling that, that is an opportunity to realize that your soul wants something. It wants something. You would not be having that affect if it didn't want something. And that doesn't mean you have to take the next obvious step. You're not in a soap opera. <laughs> the next, well, next could, right, I know, yeah. The next obvious step could be that you start actually looking at, like, oh, I heard you say, I'm not getting this need met. Great. Is that something that you expected to have met? Had you been asking for it? Had your partner set a boundary around it, and it's outside of their boundaries? You know, I have people who have kink relationships. Um, so they, they may have a kinky relationship with one partner and not with another. Right. And so there are boundaries drawn around both of those relationships about what's going on in each of them. It could look like anything, but the feelings they're yours. Don't disown them. Like they're yours. You get to work with them. So the fact that you had a feeling when I find myself all a flutter for someone, I'm like, Oh, okay. My soul knows it wants something. And it, it sees it, it's, it sees it out in the world, but it's mine. It's my feeling. That's a huge opportunity because most of us need to see our, our wants reflected out in the world. It's really hard to just like, people say like, look inside. What do you want? I'm like, nothing. There's, I mean, I'm in here. I'm bored. I don't know. I'm bored. (laughs) (laughs) But if I go out into the world, even to just go sit at my local coffee shop and just watch people walk by, I'm going to notice some stuff. Maybe I'll notice that I keep noticing blondes when they're walking by. Maybe I'll get introspective about that and think, why? Why is that even catching my attention? Maybe I'll go a step further and be like, oh, it's actually not. Oh, you know what? That's not not sexual. Oh, oh, I miss my friend. I have a friend who isn't my friend anymore. We had a a falling out at some point. I miss them. They were blonde. My soul will deliver these messages in a million ways. But I could easily mistake my lady boner for absolutely <laughs> wanting to get a get something on with the blonde when in fact it just had a want. And the imagination can only talk to us in image. Mm-hmm. It can't give us complete sentences. So we have to just res- we have to respond to that image and be like, what could this mean? And not just go with that one conclusion of it means I want sex. Right. Mm-hmm. We're so much more complicated. Yeah. yeah. That's actually that's so true. <laughs> I I my first thought would always be, is always, you know, this isn't right. I'm not getting the sex I need. I want sex with other people. That sounds a little <laughs> primal, but that's, that's what we are, you know, but that's like, it's not always about sex. I'm very complicated. <laughs> there's As more a, to you than just sex, There's more M. to me than just a sex machine. <laughs> I tell you what. And that is ex- that's exactly where I was. So I was the high desire partner in my first marriage. And so when I fell for somebody, I always assumed it was because I needed more sex. I needed more sex. I needed a higher quality sex. I needed different sex. I needed kinkier sex. But (laughs) when I fell in love, this one big sort of cataclysmic time, I didn't have sex with that person for over six months. It wasn't about the sex. It was actually a whole crap ton of other stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm really glad because I happen to be married to that guy now. I shockingly wound up married to him all these years later. Um, And 
if I had thought it was just about the sex, honestly, we probably would have just done it a few times and burned mm-hmm. out. But it was actually my invitation into finding out who I really was. Right. And I had to stay open to that by not over-focusing on the sex. And this was the, <laughs> this was the person you had a big uh, crush on in your first marriage, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. It, it was, for me, I had that, I had a numinous moment. I was on the dance floor. My friends were all there. We were all just dancing with people. And all of a sudden, I was like, <gasps> lightning bolt through my body. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But I've known this person my whole life. I Literally, my whole entire life. So, and Honestly, I just found him annoying for the first 33 years. So it's not as though it's not as though there was some sort of subtext going on. Mm-hmm. There wasn't, but my my soul recognized something. And I say that in a really non-religious sense. Like mm-hmm. my my inner being was just like, oh, this person has access to something that you want. Go, go follow that. Go, go see what's over there. And because he was a guy, right? <laughs> there was a lot of pressure now. Oh, it must be about sex. It must be about that. And I was the one who put the pressure there. I was like, I have a high sex drive. It must be about that. It was never about that. I mean, we have a great sex life, but it was never about that. It's a million other things that we usually don't even conceive of. We don't talk about, but it's all the stuff that makes up creative monogamy wanting a deeper friendship, wanting a spiritual friendship, wanting to be able to talk about the earth and the planet and how we work on it and wanting to be able to talk about how people work all day, every day. I mean, he hosts my podcast with me now. And I, you like, I never would have thought that I'd have that in a partner, but that's what I was looking for. Right. Mm. (sighs) Everything you're talking about is like so beautiful. I love the way that you explain everything. And I'm also like feeling a little trigger going back to what you were saying about being valued because I'm like, oh yeah, like I think I could totally, like I could see myself, you know, having feelings for somebody else. But I like, I know innately, like I would still love my partner so much, like my current partner. And that would like not change how much I feel about them. But then when I try and switch that and I'm like, if they had feelings for someone else, I'm like, that's when my value, like that's when that like worthiness would start to feel shaky. That's amazing. That So you just did a thought experiment. So this is a great action step for people. That thought experiment just to, like works, okay? So anybody who's listening could do this. Let yourself, give yourself a period of time, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, and imagine that. Imagine the scenario from both directions. This isn't about wanting to activate non-monogamy. It's not a switch you're going to flip someday. <laughs> um, it's about imagining into it because in the imagination, you noticed that you've got a wobble. There's a wobble in there. Great. That wobble is exactly where you could build a stronger relationship, not only with your partner, but with yourself. Because some part of you doesn't feel totally secure in yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's great news because now we know where you can aim some energy. You could have conversations about it. You could take yourself out for some dates and really, really like feel into this like how am I going to be so present for myself that even if my partner and I are doing different things I got me because when you when you can when you can get there life is not going to knock you over Mm -hmm. and so your triggers if I were going to put that really really simply where you get triggered is great it's such good news relationships are messy that is good news. You get a little trigger and now, you know, that's where I can have my next growth. That's Mm -hmm. exactly where it's sitting. And you don't have to, you don't have to take any crazy wild actions. It can just be imagining into it. Imagination is always the first place I take everyone. Just imagine it. Mm -hmm. Probably have a good, you know, lifetime's worth of growth just in that right there. Cause probably you have some early, early lack, right? Like mm-hmm. so there's probably some very early, like someone doesn't love me enough. I won't be valued. I'm not special. Well, I can definitely like okay. trace that string or that line, like through different parts of my life. Cause it's like, you know, I have really good friends and it's like, I know like we have a little group of three and I know that if I hang out with one of them, it doesn't change how I feel about the other one. But Mm -hmm. then if like they hang out without me, I, there's this little part of me that's like, I'm out, Mm -hmm. I'm out. I'm not the one anymore. And it's like that it's the same feeling 
Like there's different Very connotations, easy. but it's like a similar feeling to what I was just describing. Yeah. And so it's like that is something that's not just about monogamy in my like right. current relationship. Yes. Spot on. Okay. So what you described there, people use the word envy and jealousy identically. They're not the same. Jealousy is always a triangle. So if there are three of you in your friend group, you have a perfect <laughs> scenario for jealousy <laughs> to pop up over and over again. Envy is about, a, it's a dyad. It's just two. It's me wanting to, it, longing, like longing to be like someone else, to have what they have, or for them to just not have it because I'm like grossed out by <laughs> because I don't have it. It's always about two. But wherever you see a three, what you have is me, my beloved, and an interrupter. And in the case of friends, a lot of people discount this because they're like, well, no, I love both of these people. So I don't want either of them. It doesn't matter because how your imagination works, it'll just tack back and forth. It'll just flip flop those roles with your friends, depending on what's going on. The beautiful thing about jealousy is it's your feeling. So if you put yourself in a spot where you imagine, I feel jealous, which means I feel a primal threat to a relationship that feels like my survival. Like it feels like my whole life is riding on connection because it is then you have the opportunity to start making sure that you're getting your needs met in your friendships and that you're solidifying yourself so that that, that little tape, whatever that is, that stuff that's coming back and playing over and over again, doesn't actually perversely ruin your friendships because you so need them that then you accidentally sever some of the bonds and been there, done that cast, like lost my last best friend last summer over exactly this. So I'm always working with it too. There is no perfection, but you like you know what your work is right now. Is there a way to become, this is kind of stepping out of like our friend situation, but like a not jealous person? Because when I think of all this and like consensual non-monogamy and opening up your relationship, in my head, I'm just like immediately like, no, I'm a jealous person. I, I could never do that. I could never think of, I could never sit at home while my partner is out on a date with someone else and be a chill girl. <laughs> like, that's a just, cool girl. A cool girl. Like I just, that's not going to happen for me. But I also don't want to like just always identify that with being like, oh, I'm just a jealous person. And I also don't always right. want to feel these jealous feelings, especially when it's like a trivial thing, like just something silly. So how, how do we name jealousy and then work towards pushing it farther out of our way? Boom. Okay. You already, you, you jumped to the first step. So in my research, I identified a five step cognitive framework that non-monogamous people do without really thinking about it usually, but the stuff they do. And the first step is naming it. Most of us don't talk about jealousy. We don't think about it. We don't think of ourselves beyond just maybe saying, oh, I'm a jealous person. And then we dismiss it. We don't work with it. So what we, what people who are working with this well do, because Anybody can experience jealousy at any point, even if you're not a prodigiously jealous person, it can still come up and bite you. It's an archetypal emotion. So it's not going anywhere. We can't get rid of it. Do not believe anybody who says that you can cure it. No. no. Hard pass. Don't no. take whatever medicine um, they're yeah. offering. <laughs> Don't take that. I would sell that. I would sell that. Solution. I would. But we don't need to. What we need is to name it. So if you can start naming it when it comes up, like, oh, there's jealousy in one of its basic forms. Like, oh, I just, I feel it. Jealousy is just fear that your love attachment will be broken, interrupted, right? So you name it. And then you notice what the hell's going on. What's happening in your body when you, when you, can, when you can name jealousy, check your body for the sensations. A lot of people describe tightness, knots in their stomach an upset stomach, constriction, tight throat. It's all, it's generally some kind of sensation that's like closing down. You start noticing this so that you can identify jealousy earlier in the process. Cause usually what happens is we don't recognize jealousy until it's gone. It's just spiraled way out like Tasmanian devil level spiraling out of control. So if you can identify the sensations, you notice the sensations and come back and name it. Oh, this is jealousy. It doesn't actually mean anything's wrong. I'm just going to stay with it. Then you can get into the, the basic relationship stuff of like, well, are your needs being met? Are they not? Because jealousy is an invitation to get your needs met by either your partner or you or by someone else. Because I don't know, my friends meet a lot of my needs that my partners don't. Mm -hmm. 
If you can do that, if you can name it and start noticing it earlier in your process, what would happen is that, that imaginal, like my partner's out on a date, fucking somebody else, (laughs) that's the deep end of the pool. That's not where we need to start. We need to start with my partner is across the room at that party. And I see that their, their joke is being laughed at. And I know how much that means to them. And now I'm boiling a little bit, noticing in that moment now, then you have the opportunity to be with yourself and be like, yep. And I've negotiated the boundaries in this relationship. I am safe. I know what's going on here. Right. And so now we can bring our prefrontal cortex back online because you go, you're just in, you're in panic. And so it's not like it's easy, but you can train yourself to be less exacerbated, right. During times that jealousy pops up, it's never going to go away because you need it. It's designed to give you information. It tells you you really care about someone. But what you do with it takes it from neutral into whether it feels good or bad. Mm. <laughs> I, I do with it whatever makes it feel really bad. <laughs> That's what I do with it. That's where I put it. And in most my people book. do. Yeah, most people do. Like you start, let me guess that you start imagining scenarios. They get worse and worse and worse. Or you go into like hate mode and now you're like, you're the hater. You like hate everything and it's all horrible. Yeah. You're I'm so yourself. the hater. I'm the hater and the retreater. I'm like, fuck you. Get out. You can leave. You can take your little floozy and go do with what you will. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And I don't. So you don't want to get hurt. Yeah. You don't want to be hurt. You don't want to be abandoned. And jealousy can can also be layered with shame. So if you're experiencing jealousy in your relationship, but you were told that being jealous is bad and you don't have to remember having been told this, it's just in our, it's, it's in the culture, right? Being jealous is bad. So you should share your toys. You should share your mother's attention. You should share, 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 especially if you were you know, a little girl growing up, we should share and be nice. So jealousy is layered with shame and it's bad to admit it. Also, it, it, it's like admitting that we might be lacking something to our primal brain. Right. So yeah, of course you want to get dismissive and be like, yeah, see ya. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> yeah. And that's your moment right there. When you, when you notice that that's what you want to do, if you take a beat, you might take the beat to be with yourself and be like, what exactly do I need right now? Because you probably just identified something that you want that you've been afraid to ask for. Because if you're a little avoidant, you probably aren't asking for everything you want. So jealousy is a huge opportunity that most of us just try to send packing as soon as it shows up. Mm -hmm. But it's just information. Yeah. Just information. Are there ways (laughs) to get like playful or kinky with jealousy? Can you get into that? (laughs) There are. Okay. So I was, I was featured in a Vogue article talking about this. So I'll just say it here because, um, so I was interviewed about non-monogamy. Um, it was in the April issue of Vogue and, um, the interviewer asked me the same question. 30% of my non-monogamous respondents do feel arousal when they feel jealous as do I. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I find jealousy is incredibly arousing. Does it make me heated? Yes. But I also find it makes me heated in that way that's like, ooh, the same thing that would have me want to get spanked or might have me want to be told that I'm a bad girl or whatever, all that Mm -hmm. same stuff. Jealousy brings up the same heat. And so if I want to work with my jealousy from the perspective of, well, what if I leverage this into arousal? I have had my partner tell me stories about what he does and masturbated to it. Absolutely. And I do it thoughtfully and carefully for myself. Like I let myself cry during it. I ask him to hold me and remind me that this is, that this is what I'm doing intentionally. It's a practice. I've been doing this for 13 years. It is a practice, but damn, it makes those date nights a (laughs) lot more delicious. (laughs) It's not for everyone, but I have found that there are some of us who are like, yeah, sure. Why wouldn't I play with that kinky? Why, why wouldn't I? The same way I might play with the idea that I am naughty. Mm -hmm. It's, it can be really juicy. And the trick to doing that well is to do it in the context of your partner being able to say, I am here. I love this about you. You are accepted and wanted just the way you are. You don't need to do anything differently. 
let's play with this and bring that playful attitude. And right. that, yeah, anything can be fun then. Right. Have you found that for yourself that you think that? I think it could be. That's like where that question came from is when I'm, you know, because I have a lot of thoughts when I think about my partner being with somebody else. I'm like, yeah, like I think that would bring up like definitely scratch my worthiness wound. But then I'm like, it could also be really fun because I also I do love when he talks about like past things. I, I've always thought that was so fun to talk about. It. And we've never really done it in like a kinky way where I've like gotten off to it. But it's like. I do get really excited learning about that and talking about it. Like, obviously, I like talking about sex, like surprise, surprise. But like, that's so fun for me. And I'm like, okay, so maybe there is something there. Yeah, (laughs) I've always. Right. And it doesn't have to be about taking it to the physical. Mm -hmm. Play with it in the imaginal. Mm Like the imaginal realm is where you can try all this stuff out before you ever have to think about whether you want to take this into an embodied situation. It can be imaginal, not vaginal. 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 Yes. Yes. I love that so much. I've totally realized that, like, I knew from, like, high school boyfriends that, like, yes, I would get jealous over things, but I Mm -hmm. also loved knowing when other people thought my boyfriend was hot. Mm -hmm. And I loved, like, being able to be the one that was with them. And then I also like that too, where I'm like, tell me who you've been with. Tell me what you've done. Tell me the details. Tell me the details. I don't know. Like the person that I'm dating right now, they've been with a lot more people than I have. I think that one, my comfortability with it comes a lot from the podcast, but also Mm -hmm. two, I'm like, so a lot of people have wanted. Yeah. (laughs) Like That's really fun. But I don't know. I think, yeah. And I think it would be interesting to turn like, like, let's say they're, like, texting. They're, like, I'm just pulling this out of a hat. They're <laughs> texting this girl that's their friend and rather frequently, but turning that into more of, like, a, maybe, like, a sexual jealousy. I don't mm-hmm. know because I also don't know when the right time is to, like, bring up when I'm jealous over really trivial things because, like, I've I've done that where it just makes it worse and it yeah. makes it a thing when it's not a thing. So can we turn the yes. silly things into like sexual without it becoming a problem? Okay. There's a, because there's a missing step. This is why it gets problematic. The missing step isn't about turning the little things. You know, like you can absolutely turn a mountain, a molehill into a mountain, but the missing step is in talking about jealousy in a meta sense before you talk about the thing that's bothering you. So having a conversation about jealousy where you get on a shared page about what jealousy is and what purpose it serves. I mean, literally have your partner listen to a podcast. I've been on like a hundred of them talking about jealousy. And now here I am. This is possibly one of the deepest ones I've gone on. Have them listen to this. Get them on the same page with you about what jealousy is and then when you have those small moments, you remind yourself that your jealousy is yours and the behavior is theirs. You get to deal with the jealousy, but that doesn't mean you can't invite your partner into it. So I wouldn't turn it just instantly into something else. I would ask my partner to be present to it. Like, oh my gosh, this is small. I wish this didn't bother me, but it's clearly waking up some earlier wound. It's waking something up. And so here it is. Could we talk about it? Could we play with it? Could we reimagine it? And the answer is all of them. So you try them without going into a super deep, like you don't let yourself go off into that, you know, imagination of, oh my God, everything's going to fall apart and get your partner on the same page with you about what jealousy really is. It's actually information that you care about them a lot. That's exactly what it is. It shouldn't be dismissed, but it also doesn't have to be anything more than that. It doesn't have to mean that you want to control them. But a lot of, especially guys, feel controlled when jealousy comes up. Right. So release each other from these bonds by clarifying what it's for, what jealousy's for. Right. Create your monogamy. Create your monogamy. (laughs) Well, I think that's the step I've always missed, which is literally Mm -hmm. discussing what jealousy feels like and is and means in my head to the person that I'm with. Because then I just I just jump straight into like I don't like that you're doing that because I'm jealous. And, and then it's like, you get mad. And then I get mad and sad. And then I get pushy. And then I get hateful. And they're out the door. And none of us are happy. And now this really small thing becomes a huge thing every mm-hmm. time it comes up, which it will because it was a daily trivial dumb thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So yeah, I've totally missed that other yeah. step. 
So if you've it, laid, th- sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that, remember that that means if it's played out more than once, it's going to play out every time until you die, unless you do something different. Fuck. So there's your homework. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there's no way I'm, out. I'm not pulling my punches here. Yeah. Like, do it. Deal with it. Like, do not let another relationship go where you don't take this to the next level, where you don't level up your ability to deal with jealousy because it, you are probably going to unlock a whole new layer of how you can relate and be able to transition. If this relationship isn't your forever relationship, you will be able to transition more gracefully because jealousy has been an excuse. Mm -hmm. You don't need that. You don't need that. You don't like this guy. Don't like, don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) So if you've laid that groundwork and you've had that conversation of like, here's what jealousy means to me, like, and maybe you want it to be a more playful thing. Does that mean that like, you know, if a little thing comes up, like he's texting somebody and you're like, that actually makes me jealous. And that turns me on. Like, can that be all that you say in that moment? And then you have sex. Okay. <laughs> and then you fuck. So. I, mean, I mean, it depends how, how, like, how's your gas pedal? How's your brakes? Right. right. Like, mm-hmm. if, you, yeah. if your gas is, is very sensitive, then yeah. <laughs> you might try specifically, though, playing with this in the completely imaginal realm first. So, what I would suggest is have him pretend to receive a text. And allow yourself to enter into this into a role-playing way. Like, oh, he's texting, he's texting, he's texting. Or sometime when you, like, know he's texting his boss. And it's so <laughs> yeah. Right? And play the game. Because if you can't do it when it's a game, if you can't role-play mm-hmm. it yet, then you're not ready to bring it into your day-to-day. Also, yeah. when there's a real other person out there, right. you could actually accidentally damage a friendship that you don't mean to. So again, always bring it back to the imaginal. That's your playground. That's your initial starting point for every single one of these experiments. That's what I do with people. I help them experiment Mm -hmm. in safe and titrated ways Mm -hmm. so that they're not just like making it up as they go along and playing with live ammo. We don't need to do that. Right. Because I could, not that we ever would, but my brain went to like, ah, I fuck someone else. <laughs> Aren't you jealous? <laughs> and then, you know, you just take it too far because you haven't tried it out first. Yeah. Oops. Oops. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or you not accidentally th- do it when you just came back from a trip and you're like, oh, yeah. that was not good timing. Yes. <laughs> that was, the timing was off. Yeah. yeah. I could see myself yeah. doing that. <laughs> Wrong timing for like jealousy play. Yeah. Like, ah, I haven't talked to you in eight days and... <laughs> I'm not gonna (laughs) surprise surprise. So if you're somebody that is generally more like triggered by jealousy and not in a turn on way is, can you like eventually shift into like, it does turn you on. And is that, do you get there by just kind of like playing with it in that imaginal realm? Well, what I have seen is that some people want to learn to deal with jealousy differently. Mm -hmm. And some people really don't. What they want to do is learn how to decrease the feeling of jealousy. Mm -hmm. And there are two different paths. What I've experienced is that everybody who wants to start learning how to be playful with their jealousy has the capacity to increase that. But if you're trying to play with jealousy just because your partner wants to, and you're trying to now, now you're trying to satisfy their need, that generally does not work out. So playfulness around jealousy is not, it's not the end all be all. It is one of a bunch of options because another option is to really take jealousy every single time, take it back to, okay, like let's do our reassurance. Let's make sure our boundaries are clear. And now you need to learn some self-regulation skills because most of what jealousy is doing is putting us in hindbrain, right? It's putting us right into our limbic system. So we need to learn how to regulate, which is actually Great news, because there are lots of tools right now for learning how to regulate. You could also learn how to co-regulate with your partner. But I want you to learn how to self-regulate, too, because jealousy is telling you that you're already wanting to lean into codependence, right? Right. So I want you to learn to self-regulate. That would be my number one. Before I worry about whether I can play with jealousy, I would say, can I self-regulate when it comes up? Can I bring myself back to a place where I am able to have a conversation, where I'm able to come out of my worthiness wound and just be like, yep, okay, that the wound happens, but I don't have to stay trapped in it. Because if you're trying to play from that primal panic space, you better have a skilled dumb with you, man. You better. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that could get tricky fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, real fast. Wow. That was so 
enlightening. Yeah. This last hour. It's just been incredible. I like I love your perspective on uh creative monogamy. I love the way that you talk about jealousy. Like this has just been so enlightening for me as a human yeah. being. Yeah. Where can our listeners continue connecting with you after this episode? Yeah. So if anyone is curious about whether non-monogamy is the right choice for them, I want them to go take my quiz. I designed it out of my research. So it's BuzzFeed style, nice and simple, but it was designed right out of my research. (laughs) So it's um, joliequiz.com, J-O-L-I-Q-U-I-Z. That'll just help you know whether this is something that's even for you or not. And then everybody else, I would love for you to just follow me on Instagram because I post about this stuff all the time. And it's really that day-to-day hit that will help. So my Instagram is Dr. Jolie underscore Hamilton. And yeah, if jealousy comes up for you, you're normal. Come hang out with me. I'll I'll prove it. (laughs) I have never thought more in depth about why I get jealous than I did after this interview. (laughs) It just... I don't know. I love a reframe of emotions. You know what I mean? Because I think we have a tendency to think that certain emotions are negative. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no, what if they're, they can be really fun or kinky or a teacher or any of those things. It's like everything is there for a reason. Yeah. And I'm going to out myself a little bit. I didn't listen to Jolie's complete advice. (laughs) And I I will. I will. But after this interview, I was so excited to use jealousy in a kinky way mm-hmm. that the next time that I um, hooked up with the guy I was dating, I like thought about if um, a girl <laughs> texted him <laughs> and like in the middle, and I used that as momentum. I love that. I mean, did you bring it up? No. I think that's I kept it. I think that's healthy. It was fun. It's just called a fantasy. It's called fantasizing. And every guest we've ever had has said to try something out yourself first. So I'm sorry. Even Jolie says that. Yeah. So I think it's completely in alignment with everything you've ever been told. And I think you are just like growing, glowing, amazing. Thank you. Just winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you, Jolie, for being on the episode today. This was so much fun. Thank you to our listeners for hanging out. And uh, if you want to show us more love, head on over to (laughs) Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. It means a lot. You can also rate us on Spotify. Also means a lot. Love all the five stars. Thank you. Love a five star. Uh, High five. Five star. Handshake. Anything with all. Anything with all your digits. All your digits. (laughs) That's what I'm interested in. Fist. I want a full fist. Full fist in the air. Am I right? Do you think we're ever going to talk about fisting? One day. I think it's important. It comes up enough in our jokes. I think it it scares me. I think that's why I joke about it is because it scares me. I don't judge anybody who wants to do it. Like, fuck, go you. Great. Fucking A. Fantastic. Um, but-, but I'm scared. Hey. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Oh, wait. If you're going to leave an emoji in your review. I don't know if you enjoy us picking one every week, but we're going to uh, do it. We could do, if we do jealousy, we could do like the smiley devil. Yeah. I like that. That's fun. I like that. Do a little smiley devil. All right. All right. Bye. See you later. Bye. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.